Lovely. Okay. So we continue here now, okay? Right. So we have the image of God's remnant church. And we have the, they keep the commandments of God. They keep the faith of Jesus. And they have the spirit of prophecy. Then we have the remnant church rediscovers Bible prophecy, the investigative judgment, and the seventh day Sabbath. And then we have the name Seventh Day Adventist. We have the seventh day is the Sabbath of Yahweh God. And we have Adventist, the visible second coming of Jesus Christ to the earth. And then we reach the stage of having the name Seventh-day Adventism prefixed with an adjective. And the adjective is Tuesday. It doesn't show a new religion or a new organization. But what it does show is that Tuesday is an adjective describing what kind of Seventh-day Adventist we are in contrast to the traditional Adventist organization. Now, Brother Kevin brought last day events to me, that same book, and we were reading it downstairs. And as we went through those quotations, it clearly affirmed what we were talking about, what Mrs. White was saying. But what did they do? They leave out some of the statements in her writings, which would help you to get the true setting of what she was saying. So they misrepresent what she's saying by cutting out certain portions, which would have explained it. But nevertheless, sufficient is there for us to see exactly what we were saying. That Mrs. White says the, the church is organized, but it is not an organization. That's a difference, okay? And of course, we are organized, okay, brethren? We have a particular form of church government where you don't have conference ruling over the people, but each church is autonomous, but are united by the sisterhood of faith and by relationships to each other in the same principles and teachings. This is how it was in the early church, and this is how it is back right now. If you read the Bible, you would see only when a terrible crisis was happening to threaten the existence of the church, that representatives from the church in different areas gather together in a general council. So let us assume we have laws coming to deal with the church in Grenada, to deal with the church in St. Vincent, to deal with the church in Trinidad, in the Caribbean here, what will we have? We will have a council of brethren from these different churches come together here to help us, to all of us discuss it. And that's a church council. But other than that, you don't have a council sitting between sessions giving orders to the church. It doesn't happen like that, okay? All right. Okay. Good. So now we were to go forward and we were to now touch point number five. If you observe point number five here, you will see point number five is systematic theology. And you will see seven points. Why seven points of systematic theology? Why the seven points? Please let us turn to Proverbs chapter nine and verse one first of all. Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 1. Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 1. Please let us start here. 
All right, Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 1. Is it found? Is it found? Good. Let's read what it says. Wisdom had what? Builded her house. She had, she had hewn out her what? Okay, watch this drawing on the board. This is a house that wisdom built. And we are told that she had hewn out how much? Seven pillars. So do the pillars stand on top of the house? Or is the house put upon the pillars? see that my dear brethren so here what the scripture tells us wisdom had hewed out for herself a house she had hewed out how much seven pillars so the house we understand from this scripture is supposed to be built on how much pillars no God is not saying that seven pieces of truth is the whole truth you have in the universe he's not saying that is it not surprising that when he gave us the days of the week, how much days did he give us? How much days? Seven, Seven days. Is it not surprising that the number of the number that symbolizes perfection is what number? Seven. Seven. Did you see that, my dear brethren? Seven. Observe. So wisdom builded a house. And she healed on how much? seven pillars. Why seven? Because seven pillars are what you call seven foundational truths upon which the house of God is built upon. So we need to first understand what is the house of God. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 6. What is the house of God? Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 6. Please help your neighbors find if they know not where. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 6. Yes, Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 6. Is it found? But Christ as a son over what? Whose house are we, God, if we hold fast the confidence and the what? Rejoicing of the hope firm where? Right, so if you don't hold fast the confidence, if you don't hold fast the confidence firm until the end, you will backslide, okay? And then you're no longer the house of God, right? So we see clearly here, those who maintain the faith of Jesus Christ, 
they are identified as the house of God. Is that understood? Is that understood? Now let's see who or what is um, wisdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 24 and 30. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 24 and 30. Who is the wisdom? Or what is the wisdom? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 24 and 30. Please help your neighbor find it if they do not hear. Is it found? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we are going to look at verse 24 first and then verse 30. Verse 24 first and verse 30. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, what? The power of God and what? The wisdom of God. Did you see that? So who is the wisdom of God? Christ. Look at verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us what? Wisdom. Okay? You got the rest, right? Right, so this clearly shows us that the wisdom of God is whom? Christ. One more thing we need to find out. What are pillars in the Bible? First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. Please help your neighbor to find it if they know not where. First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. Found it? Right. Let's pay careful attention. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is what? The church of the living God. The what? The pillar and ground of truth. Watch this now. Let's just take this scripture and put it in a, in a kind of a, a symbolic form. We are told the church, right, is the pillar and the ground of truth. Right, watch. The church is the pillar and ground of truth. Watch, watch your example here now, watch. The church is the what? Pillar and the what? Ground of truth. Say, the church is the pillar. The pillar is the what? Ground of truth. Do you get the idea? Watch it again. The church is the what? Pillar. The pillar is the ground of what? The truth. So the ground that is the truth is the pillar, is the church. So if the church is built itself upon seven pillars, then it would be that the church has built itself upon the ground of what? 
of truth, which is identified as the pillar, which is identified as the church. So when you say pillar, you mean what? The truth, the ground that is the truth. Because the house must stand on the ground that is the truth. So the pillar is the ground that is the what? Truth, or the ground of truth. Is that understood? So now, we read Proverbs chapter 9, verse 1. We read it again. Let's read it again. Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 1 again. Is it found? We read. Wisdom had builded her house. Who is this wisdom? Jesus Christ. She had hewed out her what? Seven pillars. So we know this wisdom is Christ. Christ has founded his church, and his church is founded upon what? Seven pillars. Some people say, oh, but this is a her, a female wisdom. All you have to do is to read the whole of chapter 8, and you will see the same wisdom there is a prophecy of Jesus Christ or the Messiah. Okay, brethren? That's all you have to do, right? That's all you have to do. So the herd doesn't matter. So the point, but the point we are looking at here is this. Is that the church is founded upon seven pillars of truth. Did you see that? So in other words, you want to look at an image of the church. When you start, you start looking at the image, the first thing you see are seven pillars of the truth. Now, it doesn't mean they're just only seven pieces of truth, but the seven pillars are general points of faith. Watch this. Yes. Okay. If Wisdom built it, her house, on seven pillars, then Wildam built her church on seven churches? Because Laodicea, God can't build a church on Laodicea. He says he's outside and knocking to come in. So he ain't build that. is not saying now this is saying the church is built it on the, the, the house of God which is you the church is built upon pillars it can be the church building upon the church the church the house of God but then they are you have to ask yourself the logic how could you build a church on a church Look at how a church is built on a church. That's what I'm asking and explain that. How a church can be built upon a church and explain that. No, we're not saying that. It says wisdom had built her house. She hewed out seven pillars. So the house is on the pillars. It's not seven pillars from a massive pillar. 
But seven pillars holding them. But all right, it's not seven churches from a church. So, 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 then that would mean to say that the church is called out from churches. So who had the churches before God? Why would God call out a church from churches if they are the church, they are his own already? Seven church, seven church states and ages, right? And that, that book was given to seven literal churches in Asia, but there were more than seven there. But they just sent to seven of the many churches that were in Asia. You had Colossi. Colossi was there. Look, that name isn't called, right? Okay, and other churches that were in other cities there. Right, so the point about it, regardless of that, if you have seven churches, you don't need to call out a church from seven churches. If you have seven churches, you have churches already. Right, but the point about it is that wisdom is built upon seven pillars. Right? I built his house upon seven pillars. And that seven pillars, obviously, is the ground of truth. Amen. So you build the house on the ground of truth. So the church of God must stand upon what? The truth. So you call it the pillar and ground of what? The truth. So that they stand on the truth. That's what you see. Now here's the point now. The point we need to ask ourselves is, what seven pillars of truth can we possibly see in God's church? That's what we need to ask ourselves. What seven pillars of truth can we possibly see in God's church? Now I'm going to read from the board here, but then we'll go into it in the Bible. What we need here are seven foundational positions from which many truths can come. Listen to me again. Seven foundational positions from which, from which many truths can come. Why? Because with all religions, their teaching comes from certain foundational points. Let's watch. Point number one, the Godhead. Did you see that? Isn't it true that all religions base their teachings on the idea of God? So your idea of God will be a pillar. Did you see that? Your idea of God will be what? A pillar. Is it not true that all religions base their idea of salvation upon the state of man? Whether he's a God or not? Or sinful or not? So a pillar will be your idea of man, which will be what? The depravity of man. Do you see that? So in other words, while the Godhead is a pillar, the depravity of man is a pillar. Identifying man and his state is a pillar that the church is built upon. If the moment you begin to say that all men have no sin, do we need salvation? Do we need salvation? That's the point. Do you get that clear? So the point about it, the idea of the moral state of man is going to determine what truth you hold. Amen? Watch your third pillar. Watch. Watch. Right, right. Characteristically. You go to the seven before I touch all. <laughs> okay. Now, point number three. Provisions of salvation. Is it not true that each religion professes to have some kind of provision of salvation? Whether it is to the spirit come out of your body, whether it is you're transformed into something, 
whether it is you are saved by getting grace, or whether it is you continue in your moral state and you're saved that way, but they all have a provision of what? Of salvation. Therefore, the provision of salvation is another pillar. Did you get that clear? Watch this. If we begin to discuss Hinduism, and you will be, a Hindu will say, well, when you die, your soul comes out, and if you did good, it will go in a higher level. So you're born on another level. They are saying that that's their idea of their plan of salvation. But their idea also of the state of man. And their idea also of what God is like. So in other words, what we have here, really and truly, the provisions of salvation is another pillar. Yes, Brother Hughes. Yes. That's right. Okay. What's your fourth point? The conditions of salvation. Is it not true? That all religions have conditions that you must have for salvation. Whether it's repent and believe. Whether it's go and get physical baptism. Whether it's do penance or something so. But all religions have what? Or selling magazines. That is true, eh? That is true. That's right. You see? You see, so all of them have their what? Conditions of salvation. Therefore... This is our general pillar and teaching. Then we come again, watch. The change point of salvation. Right? The change point of salvation. All religions have a teaching that shows where you, where, where, where you are now in the experience of salvation. Whether it is now when you now die, or whether you are now justified, or whether you now just did good works, or whether some spirit leaves your body, but they, they all have a position which is when you become saved or when you reach salvation. But it's different teachings. And hence we have what we call the change point of what? Salvation. When you are actually saved. All religion also have a general teaching of the maintenance of salvation. How does salvation remain in a person? Whether you do good works, whether you keep praying and fasting, whether you eat good healthy things or whatever, or whether you continue in obedience, all of them has a basic fundamental teaching on the maintenance of salvation. Hence, that is another pillar. And finally, all religions have a general teaching of what they consider to be the finishing of salvation. Whether they claim it is when your body is received up, or when you change and you're now floating in a spirit form, or when your past sins blotted out, or when you pass in some judgment and you now enter into heaven, all of them teaches that there is some finishing point of salvation. Now, you don't have anything after salvation finish. Okay? Hence, watch me, these seven points are seven foundational philosophical positions upon which all religions are based. Let me repeat again. 
seven points are therefore seven foundational philosophical positions upon which all religions are based. However, with regards to God's church, these are the seven positions upon which God's church is built. Okay, all churches have an idea of God. All churches have an idea of the depravity of man. All churches have a, a, an idea of what God provides for salvation. All churches have a, an idea of the conditions of salvation. All churches are built upon a, a, a point where you really experience salvation, change point of salvation. All religions are based upon an idea of maintaining salvation and the finishing of salvation. They all have their ideas on that. So basically, they all have pillars based upon what their salvation is. They may not say seven. However, Christianity do have seven foundational points of what? Salvation. For instance, we do teach the depravity of man. And based upon what the depravity of man is, it's going to be based upon the conditions for salvation, also the nature of salvation, also the change point of salvation, also how salvation is maintained, and also how it is finished in man. So you're looking at seven foundational pillars. Then therefore, when you evaluate a religion, and you want to see if the religion is true or false, all you have to do is to ask yourself, what do they teach on maintaining salvation? You get that clear? What do they teach on the change point of salvation? Or, what do they teach on the depravity of man? When you find out what they teach, then you will know what they are going to say and the other things that they are saying. Is that understood? So what, we, what do we have here? We have seven foundational points upon which the salvation of man is built. But listen to me carefully. Listen to me carefully. Our seven foundational points has a certain structure. Has a certain structure. For instance, what if you were to ask, how much bricks make up the Godhead? If I were to just say it that way. How much bricks make up the pillar of the Godhead? Or how is the Godhead? How is it? Let's just look at the Godhead for the first, of, first thing of all. Okay? Let's start with the Godhead. The Godhead is a teaching that determines your idea of God. The Godhead is a teaching that determines your idea of God. If you have a wrong idea of God, then Lucifer is actually becoming your God. You must get a proper idea of God. We need to ask ourselves, what does the Bible tell us about God? If you want to define God from the Bible, if you want to define God, in fact, it is better you stick close to what? The Bible and stick only with what the Bible says. Because finite man cannot come up with a definition of God that is right. Okay? Somebody just hand me, sister, just hand me this, um, this, um, article by Ke Kevin Baldio saying him again, as judge is my God. He's an atheist. He doesn't have a definition of God. You want to hear his definition? My understanding of God comes only through his written words and Pastor Coffee's. 
In my view, talking to a God is like talking to a dog. It's normal behavior until the dog backs back. Yeah, that's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Blasphemy. Blasphemy upon blasphemy. So you see, you depend upon man to give you a what? An idea of God, and you don't get anything good. Kevin Ball, do you think? Yes. Did you see that, my dear brethren? Do you understand me? So, the safest definition, that's why whenever anybody tells me, what are you going to say about dog? No, I, I, I know, that, that, that's not, that for instance, I mean the white, uh, the white, the white, the white, the white robe in, um, Hindu, um, Muslims. They say, what are you saying about a dog? I said, what? They say, a dog is God. God is a dog. They say, take God and spell it backwards. That's what, that's what he's telling. That's what he's saying. That's how they put it. I'm saying this to show you the best man can do is give you stupid definitions. The best Lucifer can do is to say he is God with God. So if we want a proper definition of God, the safest thing to do is to say what the Bible says and don't go no further. If you say what the Bible says and you go no further, you're on safe ground. You ready for some safe ground? Yes. Let's find out what the Bible says. First of all, James chapter 2 and verse 19. James chapter 2 and verse 19. James chapter 2 and verse 19. Let's start here. Is it found? Verse 19. Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest what? Well, the devils also believe and what? Tremble. So the Bible tells us clearly, if you believe in one God, you do well. Amen? This is the number one. This is the number what? One. Here, O Israel, Yahweh our God is one Yahweh. Did you get that? So in other words, if you believe that God is one, that's a safe ground. So somebody asks you, God, how much is God? Your answer, one. The number one, God is one numerically. You haven't lied. You haven't made a mistake. That's right, but contingent one, number one. Numerically one, contingent one, numerically one. If you say that, you haven't lied. So somebody comes and asks me and says, Brother, what do you say? Is everything God? Is, is this person God? Is that person God? I said, hello. As far as I'm concerned, the Bible says God is one. Numerically one. So there's only what? One God. If you adopt that position, have you heard? No. 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 You haven't heard. Amen, brethren? If you begin to fear, um, to, to, what you call, to bring a theory that when you say one there, you don't mean contingent one, right? You mean a united one, like a husband and wife is one. 
or like a family is one, or like a nation is one nation, then what do you have here? You don't have numerically what? One, but many. So the first thing you need to understand, the Bible identifies that there is how much? One. Numerically, one God. And if you take that position, you're right. Is that understood? So our first definition is God is one. Next one. First Timothy chapter 6. 15 and 16. First Timothy chapter 6. 15 and 16. First Timothy chapter 6, 15 and 16. Have you found it? It says this. Which in time past, which in his times, he shall show who is the blessed and only potentiate. The King of kings and Lord of lords, who only had immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man had seen, nor what can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. What did you get there? The idea that God is what? Invisible. Did you see that? Did you see that? So if you say God is one and God is invisible, are you lying? Are you speaking the truth? Yes. That's a safe position. So along comes a person and says, look at me, I am God. What do you say? Begun you false God. God is what? Invisible. That's right. Amen? Probably you want me to use the real word invisible, Romans 120. Romans 120. We're just reading verse 20 here. Observe. For the invisible things of him. Did you see that? For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being what? Understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and what? Godhead. So in other words, the invisible things we can only see it by understanding it when we look at things around. Is that understood? So the point is, God is what? Invisible. The only invisible God. The God who you cannot see. What does this tell you and I? If you say God is what? Invisible, you're right. Amen, brethren? Next. Point number three. Look at the same verse 20. No. Um, go to um, 1 Peter chapter, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4. Yes. 
Yes, there is Jeremy. One seventeen. Yes. And invisible. Yes, that's the next one. Exactly. Beautiful. Lovely. Now we read Second Peter chapter one and verse four. Is it found? We read. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of what? The divine nature. Right? You might be partakers of what? The divine nature. Might be partakers of what? The divine nature. Notice the term divine nature, right? So, in other words, if you say God is divine, are you speaking the truth? Of course. If you say God is divine, are you speaking the truth? Of course you're speaking the truth. So, one, invisible, divine. Did you see that? Now, go back to Romans 1.20 and I'll show you this. If we were to take a proper translation of Romans 1.20, let's see what you see in Romans 1.20. If we were to go back. Is it found? It says here, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power. You see the word Godhead? The actual Greek word is what? Divinity. Divinity. It's eternal power and divinity. That's the actual Greek word. Now what does this tell us? It simply tells us that if you say God is divine, are you speaking the truth? Of course, that's a safe definition. Let's go on again. John 4.24. John 4.24. John 4.24. The Gospel of John. The Gospel of John. Chapter 4. And verse 24. Did you see it? What does it say? God is a spirit. And them that what? Worship him must worship him in what? In spirit and in truth. So if you come and tell a person God is spirit. Right? So here you know God is one. Invisible divine spirit have you spoken the truth so far yes. yes you have spoken the truth so far you are looking at the is about God are you getting me clear you're looking at the is about God and all these statements you're saying are true Amen. it's safe now again let's look again go back to second Peter 1 4 Yes. Not necessarily, you know. Angels are spirit beings, but they are all, they are visible to, at times. So the, the the word spirit doesn't mean invisible. You understand? It means that it is not 
He is not substance. The nature of God is not substance. So it is against like substance. You can't say like a material thing. Right? And that's how far it is going to explain. It is not substance. It is non-substantial. Now you see the Catholic Church says God is who moves here. When the Catholic Church says God is who moves here, they mean God is homo one usia substance. Who moves here one substance. But the Bible says God is what? Spirit. Spirit is different to what? Substance. Flesh is what? Substance. Wood is what? Iron is what? Cloth is what? That's right. Right? And we know that he is non-substantial. Amen? Now, let's go on again. Back to Second Peter, chapter 1, and verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and what? Precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the what? Divine nature. Now stop there. The Greek word translated nature there is phusis. Being and construction of a thing. So when they say God is divine nature, it means God is nature. He has a nature, but that nature is divine. So when you say God is nature, you are actually identifying a makeup. You understand? That is God. Something that is God is made up of something. Right? Well, we all know it is love, right? The spiritual law, right? But you're identifying God is made up of something. So God is one, invisible, divine, spirit, nature. Now let's look for nature again. Let's look at Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6. Please help your neighbor to find it if they know not where. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6. Verse 8, sorry. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 8. Not verse 6, verse 8, sorry. Verse 8. How be it? When you knew not God, you did service unto them which by nature are what? No gods. Now what, now what does this tell us? This one tells us God is God by nature. But before you were serving God, you were serving gods that by nature are what? No gods. So God is God in nature. This is why if you say God is one, invisible, divine, spirit, nature, you're right. One more is for God. One more is. John 4, 1 John, 1 John, the epistle of John. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 and verse 16. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 and verse 16. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 and verse 16. Now read what verse 8 tells us. It tells us this. He that knoweth not, he that loveth not, sorry, 
Know it not God, for God what? Is love. Here's another, it's about God. Now when you ask yourself the question, when this is saying God is love, is this saying God has love or his nature is love? We know it is telling us that he's love in nature by verse 16. Let's go to it, verse 16. Verse 16. And we have known and believe the love that God had to us. God is love. Here's the repetition, right? It goes on. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth where? In God and God in him. So watch me now. Watch. I'm putting this on the, on the board. If this is God, right? And God has love. Then to say when you dwell in God, you don't really dwell where? In love, but just in God. But if God is love, when you dwell in love, who you dwell in? God. But if God has love, when you dwell in God, you don't dwell in love. You just have to get the love apart from him. That's how Muslim thinks. That's why a Muslim will tell you that if you say, if you tell a Muslim, God is love, the Muslim will say, well, yes. So you'll tell the Muslim, well, if I have God, I have love. He say, no, 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 no. You have an attribute of God. That's all you have. That's what he will tell you. That's the real difference. That's the real mystery of Islam. Islam believes that what God claims to be is only an attribute. So that, that's the reason why when I talk, when, when, when we were discussing to these Muslims in this mosque, and we were showing them that God is love, and if we have love, the love of God dwelling in us, we have God dwelling in us, the Muslims say, no, no, no. You only have the attributes of God, but not God. So to them, the attributes are separate from whom? God. But if that were the case, the Bible, and the Bible says God is love, if it was only an attribute that God had, it wouldn't say love is God. So that if you dwell it in love, you dwell it where? In God. It would not have said that. This clearly shows us that God is what? Love in his nature. And we know love is his spiritual law, okay? Now watch this now. What have we seen about God so far? We have seen one. Invisible. Divine. Spirit. Nature. Love. Ask yourself the question, are all these true definitions of God? Yes. If you believe in them, do you believe in the true God? Yes. And is this not a safe definition? Yes. You know why? Because nobody could contradict it. And nobody can say that God is seen. And nobody can say God is not loved. Amen, brethren? And if the moment a person say God is not one, then really and truly, I just ate God this morning. And when you go in the toilet any night, you will drop God out. That's how ridiculous the teaching becomes, okay? Incidentally, the guys who pull out a gun and shoot those people in love until down here, God just shot God with God coming out of a God. Because everything is God. That's how stupid it comes. You get that clear, my dear brethren? This is the reason why it is very safe to just simply follow the biblical definition. Amen? Amen. You can't go wrong, but that's not all. So then we'll ask you, people will ask you now, if God is one, invisible, 
divine, spirit, nature, love. Who is Jesus? We saw Jesus. How could you then call Jesus God? That's the next point we come to. The Bible defines God as one invisible divine spirit nature. But it doesn't define the body of Jesus as God. It doesn't define the body of the Father as God. And it doesn't explain the body of the Spirit because he shall not speak of himself. So what do we have to depend on to know where that one invisible divine spirit nature is located? Is it floating in the air? Is he floating in the air? Where is he particularly located? The Bible tells us. Observe what we see now. We look at Matthew, we start off with Matthew first. Chapter 3, 16 and 17. Matthew chapter 3, 16 and 17. Let's look at that. Watch it how simple it is. I watch it. You notice we don't have to do no gymnastics, no sleight of hand. We just simply read the scriptures, put them all together, and we get the real picture. All right, all of that. Look at how simple you find the truth out, right? Watch how simple. Matthew chapter 3. 16 and 17. So somebody come and ask, then who is this Jesus? Okay. Matthew chapter 3, 16 and 17. You ready? Yeah. And Jesus, here is Jesus. You saw him there? Did you just see Jesus? Matthew chapter 3, 16 and 17. Please help them, um, look, help them find it. Quickly. Matthew chapter 3, 16 and 17. Beautiful. Right, observe. And Jesus, did you see Jesus here now? When he was baptized, went up straightway where? Out of the water. And lo, the heavens were open. And he saw what? The Spirit of God. Here is number two. So you see Jesus, and two, you see what? The Spirit of God, let's read on. Descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying what? This is my beloved son in whom I'm what? Well pleased. Say so get a third one a father. Say so get a son, Jesus. You get a spirit, Holy Spirit, and you get a father. Did you see that? You get a son, you get a spirit, and you get a father. Okay? Now, first of all, let's just ask ourselves the question, what does the son say about himself? Before Abraham was? When he says, Thomas, right? Take your hands. Look at my hands and see what you see. He said, trust it in my side and see what you see. And I'll, I'll, I'll quote it for you in the Hebrew. I have a Hebrew New Testament. I have actually a New Testament written in Hebrew. I will quote it in Hebrew. My Yahweh and my Elohim. My Yahweh and my God. That's what he says. In Hebrew. Did you get that clear? So he identified Jesus as whom? God. Notice he says, he saw Father, 
You saw a spirit. You saw a son. The son says, I am a term for God. When Thomas identified him as Yahweh God, he didn't say, Thomas, you lie. I'm a godly man. Or I am a God. He says, because you see, you believe. Blessed are they that do not see and yet what? Believe. Do you get that clear? Therefore, Jesus justified what he said, confirming, I really am God. So if God is one, invisible, divine, spirit, nature, love, and then Jesus is identified as God, is it his body? What does the Bible say? First Corinthians? Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19. Now, you know, I'm not going through this in every detail, right? Or else, you know, we will be talking that as a topic by itself. More dealing with systematic theology. You got it. When you read that, verse 19. Make sure you help your neighbor find it if you know not where. Second Corinthians chapter 5. And verse 19, what does it say? What does it say? Quote, to wit, that what? God was in Christ, reconciling the world where? Unto himself. So guess what? The Bible doesn't, Jesus calls himself God. The Bible doesn't say his body is God. So Christ is identified as God because the one invisible divine spirit nature love was where? In the body that Christ had. Did you see that? Did you see that? So if you say one invisible divine spirit nature in the person of the Son, are you right? You're right. You're right. Amen? You're right. Not stop here yet. Let's go on. Romans chapter 8. No, we, we're going on. But it's the same point about identifying Father, Son, and Spirit. But we're going on. Romans chapter 8. Please find it. 26, 27, 34. Romans chapter 8. 26, 27, 34. Romans chapter 8, 26, 27, 34. You ready for it? Let's read on again. Likewise, the Spirit. Remember we saw the Spirit of God descending, right? Now here it is. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we, ought, what we should pray for, as we ought. But the Spirit itself... By the way, some people say, look, it say itself. That is not in the original. The original doesn't have itself. It says this, but the Spirit interceded exceedingly for us. That's the actual original. Or the Spirit make it what? Intercession for us with groanings which cannot be what? Uttered. Did you see that? So we know this same Holy Spirit 
intercedes for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. In other words, observe. You're suffering some kind of something. And you say, Lord, help me. When you say it, you cannot say it with the impression as it really is. So the Holy Spirit puts the conviction in your mind. So when you are saying it, you're saying it with the force or with the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is saying it through you with groanings that cannot be uttered. Right? So in other words, so far we've seen the Holy Spirit is not an it, but something that could think and can work for us. But let's read on. Verse 27. And he that searched the hearts, this he could only be God, because it's only God can, that can do what? Search the hearts. Know it what is the what? Mind of the spirit, because he make it what? Intercession for the saints according to what? Will of God. The only shocking thing about it here is the he that searched the hearts is Jesus Christ himself. So here we have the Holy Spirit has a mind. Did you see that? The Holy Spirit has what? A mind. That his mind could be seen by God. It goes on again. Go now to verse 34. Who is he that condemned it? It is Christ that, di is that, uh, that, that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, and who make it what? Intercession for us. Did you see that? So watch me now. The Holy Spirit is making intercession for us. Jesus Christ is making intercession for us. Did you see that? Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. The Holy Spirit has a mind. Jesus Christ is making intercession for us. So watch. In Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, the one invisible divine spirit nature dwelt. The Holy Spirit is doing the same work that Jesus is doing, making intercession for us. It means to say he must have the same powers that Jesus has. Because he's doing the same thing. He has a mind. And what else does the Bible say about him? 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. That's right. That's right. Spirit making intercession for us. Jesus making intercession for us. Verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 17. You found it? It says this. Now the Lord is that what? Spirit. Did you see that? And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? So we now see the Holy Spirit is God. Amen? So we saw the Father, we know the Father is God. We know the Son is God. We know the Holy Spirit is God. But the question we ask ourselves, if there is one invisible divine spirit nature, love, and that is the description of God, and then we are told God was in Christ. Then he was in the body of whom? The Father. And then in the Holy Spirit. But that is not explained. Because Christ says his spirit will not speak what? Of himself. He will show of me. That's what Christ says. So one thing we know. We can now say one. 
invisible, divine, spirit, nature, in the person of the Father, in the person of the Son, and in the person of the Holy Spirit. So we can now say one invisible, divine, spirit, nature, in three persons. Amen, brethren? That is what the Bible tells us of God. If you say Trinity, and when you say Trinity, you mean three persons in which one divine, invisible spirit, nature, love, dwells, fine. But don't say Trinity like the Catholic Church. Because when the Catholic Church says Trinity, they mean humusia. H-O-M-O, homo, meaning one. O-S-I-A, usia, meaning like something oozing out. You know, they say blood oozing out. The Greek word usia meant substance. So when the Catholic Church says we believe God is humusia, they will tell you God is one word, substance. So they'll say the substance of the Father is the substance of the Son. And the substance of the Son is the substance of the Holy Spirit. So they are telling you three substances. But that three substances is one in unity. That's what they teach. That's not the Bible teaching. That would mean if Jesus is God's substance, his body cannot be sinful, what? Human flesh. But will have to be what? Holy flesh. But watch. If his body came from Mary, then Mary would have to be the mother of that substance, so the mother of God. You see the Catholic theology showing itself there? That's why Mary will now be in heaven called the queen of what? Heaven. Did you see that? That's why we don't believe that. But the Catholic Church is smart. They know if you and I believe in one invisible, divine, spirit nature, in three persons, they are in trouble. So they say that is Nestorius teaching and heresy. But they are right. Is it not shocking that the church that taught that same thing we teach spread way up to India and Russia and Persia? Amen, brethren? Because they believe the truth. Amen? That's in the earliest times they're talking about it. Eh? And they teach the same thing that we teach. So in other words, you want to describe God? Don't try and give a description out of your own mind. Stay with a safe description from the Bible. If you say God is one, invisible, divine, spirit, nature, love, that's safe. And if you say in the person of the Father, the Son, and the what? Spirit, that's safe. Amen? And we can live with that. What do you say? We can theologize that until we reach heaven. Amen? But we ain't going outside of that. The moment you go outside of that, step back. What do you say? Amen? Stay within safe limits. That's what the Bible teach. And that's what we teach. So when you hear Godhead, those are the teachings that make up what we call what? The Godhead. And that is a foundational teaching. When you go outside of that, you're wrong. Amen? Amen? That's why when you ask what these other religions believe about God, you'll be shocked to find out how far they have gone. Amen? 
ask a Muslim, what do you believe about God? He will say, Tawheed, Tawheed. He say, I speak English. What is that? He say, God is one. I just mean one. And then he say, is he numerically one? He say, of course, numerically one. Then he say, but look, he says, we made man out of clots of blood. How could he be numerically one? And he say, we. Then you ask him, are you saying he's a united one? He say, yes, 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 united one. Unity of God. In other words, only when he tell you the unity of God, then he's speaking the truth. Before he lies to give the impression of what? Numerically one. But Tawhi doesn't mean numerically one. Tawhi means what? United one. Amen? Amen? So it would mean to say, united one is not numerically what? One. So while Muslims appear to believe, really believe in what? One, numerically one God. Don't mind them. They don't, they are polytheistic just like the Hindus. They do not believe in, in one God, numerically one. Some will tell you, yes, numerically one. But the real teaching is not that. Amen, brethren? The only religion that believes that is what? Christianity. Amen? But you say, what about the Jews? Well, the Jews. Yod, he, wav, he. Yahweh. They say that is God. That's what they'll tell you. The H is the female principle. That's what they'll tell you. You hear them say the Y chromosomes? You ever hear them say that in medicine? The Y is the male principle. And the W is the Shekinah. That's what they'll tell you. So the Jews today, listen to me carefully. Jews in Judaism today will tell you they believe in Yahweh as one God, monotheism. But don't be fooled. They believe God is a male principle and a female principle and a Shekinah. So they'll tell you, that's right, they'll tell you, God is the glory, the Shekinah glory. God is the male and God is the female. In the male principle, they have Adam there. And in the female principle, they have Eve. That's the real teaching of Judaism today. Judaism today is influenced by Kabbalism. Judaism is Kabbalistic Judaism. No matter how much orthodox they call themselves, don't be fooled. As orthodox as they are, they are really Kabbalistic Judaism. They'll tell you, no, 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 the Kabbalists believe in what the Kabbalists believe in. We believe in orthodox Judaism. The facts are orthodox Judaism today is not what it was in the time of Christ. Orthodox Judaism today is the secret teachings in the times of Christ, becoming a normal teaching in modern times. And that is what they really teach. Basically, they are not, they are not monotheists, although they are known as that. They are really polytheists. Amen, brethren? But we have the true thing from the Bible. Do you get that clear, brethren? Do you get that clear? Yeah. And justly so. 
The male principle. Yeah. Yes. I am not trying to logically reason it out to make a nice doctrinal, but I'll tell you what. All we do know is that the male principle is a part of God. That's Adam also. The female principle is a part of God. That's Eve also. And there's a Shekinah glory that is a part of God. Yes. So they're all God then. That's what we know. So I'm not going to rationalize it and so on because... There's no really logical teaching for it, right? But that's what they're teaching, okay? And it's more than just that, right? I just give it. That's the point. Listen to me carefully. Watch. Adam coming under the male principle, you ask yourself the question, which man of all races fit under Adam the male principle? Which man under the Adam, sit under the male principle in the Jews, in, in, in the Jewish teaching. The Jews only. That's why they call themselves what? God also. And the rest came by evolution. That's why they literally teach, that's why they literally teach the rest of races were cursed to be uh, monkeys or some kind of thing like that. They say. So they bring, uh, they bring a teaching now it's science today and said, that's why if you observe, the Jews always tell you, whenever they're dealing with evolution, they never put the Jewish line in the evolution. They'll always tell you they're the highest developed. But the lowest on the scale is the black man out of the monkey, the ape or the gorilla, and the highest is the black man out of Africa. So the Africans feel it's so stupid. They come and say, you see, all the races come from us. All European, Chinese, Indian, all of y'all came from us because we came out of Africa. But it is the Jews humiliating you. He's telling you, you're an evolved monkey. And he's telling all the other races, y'all come from monkeys. But under the Y chromosome or the Y principle is the male Adam, and they come from that one. That's why they claim that they are male and all of us are beasts. Remember they said that? The goyim, the cattle? That's why they call us that. And that's Judaism today. It's wicked, it's rotten, it's nasty, but it's their religion. So that's why they could call themselves God. Now that's just beside. By the way, let's get back to our teaching. So we have seen the Godhead, okay? So God is? Come, please, please wake up. Right. Follow me. God is one indivisible divine spirit in Jesus. Go ahead. In Jesus. Go ahead. In Jesus. That's right. So the next time you see me do that, the circle of grace and what? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in which is the what? Divide it here. Amen, brethren? Amen? Now, let's go on. The next thing we are told here on the systematic theology is what? Is what? The property of man. Now, again, this will help us to understand 
what kind of human beings we are. You see, your precious love, your husband or your wife, or your girlfriend, or your fiancé, or your boyfriend, and you say, you are totally depraved. But don't worry, it's a depraved person with a depraved person. And it's two depraved people loving one another. What do you mean when you say depraved? Let's look at what the Bible first tells us. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 and verse 19. Romans chapter, 12, 12, chapter 5, verse 12 and verse 19. Verse 12 and verse 19. Watch this one. Yeah, Romans chapter 5. Verse 12 and verse 19. This is the first point we could take into consideration here. Right? Yeah, it's a human being with sin. Where did, he, where did this whole thing come from? Where did this sin come from? Where did it come from with regards to man? What does your Bible say? Where did it come from with regards to man? What does your Bible say? Let's read. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 and verse 19. Watch this. Verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, because, or for, all have what? Sin. Let's stop here. For, for, let's read verse 19, first, verse 19 first of all. For as by one man's disobedience, many were what? Made sinners. Stop right here. So we know one thing for sure. Safe, a safe position the whole year is that all human beings were made sinner by one man's sin. In other words, through Adam, sin came into the world. So one man sinned, and that brought sin into the world. And all of us were made sinners through that one man's sin. The question is how? False theology tells you a wrong how. They tell you the sin is the flesh. The sin is the feelings. So if you inherit the flesh or the feelings, you inherit the sin. So Adam makes a sinner that way. So then to explain Christ, they will tell you, he couldn't come in flesh like yours because it would be sin. That's what they will tell you. And then worse yet, they tell you he has, his flesh is made up of divine substance. So he can't come in your flesh. So he is not your savior as a part of you. He's a savior far away from you. He cannot be touched with your infirmities because it would be sin for him. That's the Christ. You see, you ask yourself, why does people follow the Roman Catholic Church? Their Christ is not like you. He can't come close to you. He can't help you. He can't be touched with your feelings because if it is so, it's sin. Then what are you there for? What are you looking for? A piece of white flour in your tongue turning into God? Are you listening to me? What are you going there for? Now you're beginning to see the problems. So the first thing we look at here is that this Christ, is this, sorry, this, um, this Adam is the one that brought sin into the world. So we are all made sinners by him. But how? The Bible tells us. We don't have to guess. First, we look at Psalms 58 verse 3. Psalms 58, verse 3. Psalms 58, 
verse 3, first of all. Is it found? It says this. The wicked are estranged from where? They go astray as soon as they what? Be born speaking life. So wait. You get the idea. The Bible says that when you're in your mother's womb, you are estranged. Estranged means separated from God. But you are separated from God from in your mother's womb. And then when you come out now, you go astray. Now the estrangement from God is sin itself. But then when you come out of your mother's womb, you do you go and you start sinning. So in other words, whatever Adam did when he sinned, it caused all of us to be now born without God. To be separated from God. Is that understood? So in other words, you begin to understand the depravity of man. Adam sinned. He made all of us sinners. How did he make all of us sinners? He made all of us sinners by causing us to be born how? Without God. Separated from God. From your mother's womb. Do you get that clear, my dear brethren? Now, when you start to work out the, techni the um, technicalities of that, that's theology. The technicalities will tell you how we are born without God to Adam's sin. We will know that Adam no longer had God dwelling in him when he sinned. Amen? We will understand that traits were now in Adam that were sinful. So now any child that Adam would have, they cannot be born with God dwelling in them. And as they are born without God, they are estranged from where? The womb. Is that understood? So our first sin is being born without God. Amen, brethren? Amen, brethren. As a result of that, we need a savior. Now, when it says estranged from God, look at Psalm 51 5. Now you can understand Psalm 51 5. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother what? Conceive me. So then we go even further. A man has relationships with a woman. She conceives a child. And as she conceives, and that child begins to grow, that child doesn't have God dwelling in him. And as that child starts to grow, that child starts to grow with impulses and impressions from the parents that are sinful. So the child begins to become shaped towards what? Iniquity. Did you see that? Did you see that? That's why, that's what it means by when they say born in sin and shaped towards iniquity. So we already begin to understand that man is born without God and then begins to become directed towards wrong from his mother's womb. That's why the Bible says you were a transgressor from the womb. That's why the Bible says that. So it's now no big mystery. So one don't have to say it's the flesh. It's not the flesh. It's the absence of God. Amen? Amen? And because of the absence of God, everything started to go wrong. Is that understood? 
That's a big difference in saying, instead of saying the flesh is the problem. Did you see that, my dear brethren? That's where you now begin to understand the difference. Now watch this. Next point. So now, no God, you're born without God, you begin to, to be shaped towards the impressions and, and, and impulses that the parents have which are wrong, then you come out. And as you come out, you start operating in this world without God. Every act done without God, is it righteous or unrighteous? Of course. What is not done out of faith is what? We can't help it. That's the way we are. That's why, thank God for his grace. What do you say? We can't help it. That's how, we are. That's how it is with us. Amen, brethren? That's why you don't watch at a person and condemn a person because they are born without God. And you don't condemn a person because they follow natural ways normal to a man without God. But after you give them the chance to know the truth, and they resist the truth for that, then you could start condemning them. Amen, brethren? Then you could start doing it. Now watch. Let's see what happens to the person when they start to now form their own wrongs. Ezekiel 14. 1 to 5. Ezekiel 14, please help your neighbor find it if they do not where. Just make a glance and make sure they know. Ezekiel 14, 1 to 5. We are now going to the next stage now. After the person comes out now, or the mother's woman, they start to form their own world their own acts. What do they do? Let's go on. From verse 1, let's read. Then came certain of the elders of Israel unto me, and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols where? In their heart, and put the stumbling block of their iniquity where? Before their faith. Should I be inquired of at all by them? Now go to verse 5. Just go to verse 5. That I may take the house of Israel. Right? In their own heart. Because they are all what? Estranged from me through their idols. That's right. So watch me. When you are born without God dwelling in you, it is natural for you to create a God. Amen? So as you are shaped towards iniquity, you create a God by setting up an idol where? In your heart, and that keeps you what? Separated from God or estranged from God. Do you see the process? That's what happened to all of us. Now, based upon that, then you can understand how the plan of salvation will work. Because the plan of salvation must take into consideration the separation from God, it must take into consideration the fact that you are born without God and the fact that you have idle values developed in your mind, which the Bible calls the carnal mind. Is that understood, my dear brethren? It must take into consideration those things. That's the reason why when the Bible teaches about salvation, it tells you that God dwells in you. That corrects the idea of separation from where? From God. Amen, brethren? But it also tells you when God dwells in you, you don't become a God. It makes sure it tells you that. 
You are simply a human being with God in you. That's it, and that's all. That's what the Bible tells you. Is that lovely? Now let's see now. Say, so start to have idol values. Watch me. Idol values is in your thinking. You reason that way. Next thing happens now, your feelings begin to flow for the thing. So you begin to like how it feels. That's the next point. Let's look at it. Romans 126. Romans 126. Next stage, Romans 126. Is it found? For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their woman did change in natural use into that which is what? Against nature. Oops, one was sitting right next to me on the radio program. On the, on, on the, 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 the Gael. A woman who changed in natural use into that which is against nature. And didn't feel it ashamed to say she was a sodomite. So here the Bible speaks about the passions of the body, you understand? Here the Bible speaks about vile affections. So with the thoughts comes the vile word, affections. Or wrong passions and I'm sitting in Gael and as I'm sitting there right next to me is a woman a sodomite next to her the man is a sodomite behind me the young boy is a sodomite ne behind, ne behind me on the other side the, the, the man is a, the full man is a sodomite and the other one in the other end he is the only one wasn't one so he from the Orisha wasn't one I wasn't one and Marcia wasn't one the whole rest were so you know one thing for sure, they're separated from God in your mind, right? And they have idol values, right? And they have vile affection. The passions make you love the idols more. You didn't hear me? The passions, the feelings for it make you like it more. And that's the next stage in transgression. That's why when the Bible shows you how God deals with sin, it shows that you have to deal with the affections. Amen? Amen? That's why. Yes, brother. I was sorry for the people there, but to tell you the truth, I really felt uncomfortable. I, really, I know what it means, and I really felt uncomfortable, but I sought to use the opportunity to preach the truth for them to hear. I did, say they were, I did see they were under conviction. That's why the rest of the program was spent on them trying to undo what was said from what I said. They tried to undo it about love and do condemn and correct and, you know, and all these other things, you know? And many times you, you couldn't see it. Many times they see I tried to talk, but they didn't let me talk. The, the few times I talked there was much as I could have said, but they tried to undo what was said afterwards. But when the program finished and the interaction had taken place, which is, if I were a program, I would have filmed that. Because that's where the battle came out. Yeah, I get you with the girl, and I show her about the Anakin church, which she exalted in the thing. And I show it's an apostate church, you know? deteriorating. That's why they're accepting what you're saying. And I have us to tell them, listen, regardless of what all of you all said, it is not I that said this. God said that is wrong. And if God says so, no man's words could undo what God said. That's when the young man, the Adventist, here try and talk about, about um, church and break away from the church and so on. That's when he came. Well, yes, you know, instead of talking about truth, he's talking about break away. <laughs> <laughs> 
What do you expect? Next point, no. So, we see man has sinful passions. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's see the next thing he has now. Look at Galatians 5. Galatians 5. Galatians 5. And we'll look at verse 19 to 21. Verses 19 to 21. Verses 19 to 21. Is it found? 19 to 21. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, Pharmacy. Huh? Witchcraft? The Greek word is pharmacy. The Greek word is pharmacy. Hatred. Variance. Emulations. Wrath. Strife. Seditions. Heresies. Envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not what? Inherit thee? That's not the text I quoted for them. Shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now what does this show you here? This shows you here evil works, evil practices. So now watch me. No God in the heart. Idol values are now there. Wrong thinking and wrong feelings and then bad works. Did you see that? That's the deep of the man. Huh? Pharmacy means making all kind of concoctions that destroy people. To help them. That destroys them. Today we call it um, pharmacy. <laughs> Pharmacutals. That's what we call it. By the way, I had a big discussion in St. Vincent. Some government drug pharmacists attacked me personally in three articles in the newspapers. Part one, part two, and a third one where he says Medina says pharmacists wouldn't go to heaven. And he showed us how I lambast the World Health Organization, lambast all the pharmaceutical organizations, Speak evil against them. And he said, I said that. And he proceeded to answer to show all what pharmaceuticals and injections and vaccines has done for people. So Sister Anissa said, you've got to answer him back. So I went on I tape and answered him back. They just by the way. With a whole pile of documents here that I have here, all this whole pile of documents. And in that whole pile of documents, what did I do? I quoted the man who invented the oral polio vaccine. 
He says injections are worthless, they don't work. I quoted a next top doctor. The only injection is an injection not used. Sorry, the old, sorry. Let me give you the right quotation. The only safe vaccine is a vaccine not used. And I quoted all the top doctors and everything for them. And, I, and he, he said this, the, the fellow, in the article he shows um, scarlet fever, tetanus, tuberculosis, and he shows all these diseases have dropped since vaccines. The shocking thing is that I had a document, and the document shows all those diseases, they drop. And guess what? I have where it shows the diseases all dropped before vaccine was introduced. And I have the health analysis where it says it is because at that time there was a big campaign around the world to clean up your environment, wash your hands, and you know how to treat your body and keep well. That's when those things dropped. Then they introduced the vaccine afterwards. So it isn't the vaccine that make them drop. They drop what? Before the vaccine. So I have to show you're a liar man and you are in charge of the government pharmaceuticals. You want to kill Vincentians with your false analysis? Amen, amen. And guess what? That's right. And guess what? Sunday, that program is, program is coming across in St. Vincent. What do you say? So, so pharmacy is wrong. I tell him, I say, look, you know what? I'm going to have to do some programs in Trinidad, but before you all, we're going to have a nice health study evening here when we'll go into the whole thing, okay? Then we'll play it on, tele on radio, and then I'll send them a copy for them to play on their station. What do you say? But I want to read it for you clearly and let you see what it is said. I clearly want you to see, and guess what? As I am saying that, in St. Vincent, a woman calls Sister Anissa and tells Sister Anissa, you remember me? My name is so-and-so. Sister Anissa said, yes. I remember you. You was in hospital. You now deliver a baby a year ago, a two years ago. She tells Sister Anissa, you remember your holy baby? Sister Anissa said, yes, I hold the baby and I lift up the baby, a nice, healthy, strong baby. She said, right now the baby's head is swollen, big, hydrocephalus. Where did it come from? She says, when they take the baby for me, they went and give the baby six shots. Yes, a little baby, six shots to deal with um, different diseases like tuberculosis and so on. And out of the vaccine, the baby's head starts to swell and get water. Now the doctor is telling her, your baby won't be able to walk. It will have to lie down in bed all the time until the baby dies. Notice in St. Vincent there. And he, Mr. Jack or John was the guy's name, telling me I gave him false information and he couldn't protect that child. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine that? Man, we giving it to them good. We expose them. That's why they're going to hell too. What do you say? That's why they're going to hell too. I ain't saying nothing yet. Yes, brother. Whether it is against the law or not, you fight for the life of your child or don't have any. Yes. 
We'll talk more about that when, because that, that will take some time. But I'll tell you one thing. Listen, they don't tell you the amount of dogs that die from the vaccine. That's what they don't tell you. And that's what we will show you. We will show you. Right? Don't worry about that. Now, watch me now. One more thing now. So now that man had, watch me. Now that man is depraved, watch me. Born without God, idle values in his mind, wrong thoughts, wrong feelings, wrong works. One more thing is identified as the depravity of man. And that is sinful human flesh. But sinful human flesh is not sin. That you must recognize. Let's look at it. Romans 8.3 and Hebrews 2.14. Romans 8.3. Quickly, we'll finish off here. Romans 8.3. And Hebrews 2.14. For what the law could not do, Romans 8.3, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin where? Amen. So here Jesus came in the likeness of what? Sinful flesh. Did you see that, my dear brethren? Did you see that? Jesus came in the what? Likeness of sinful flesh. Did you see that, my dear brethren? Now Hebrews 2.14. Watch this. Hebrews 2.14. Likeness means sameness. How do we know? Look at Hebrews 2.14. Hebrews 2.14. It says this. For as much then, as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise partook of what? The same. Did you see that? That true death he might destroy him, that had the power of death, that is what? Now here's the point in this scripture. Jesus Christ partook of the same flesh and blood that we have. Did you see that? So sinful flesh, Jesus had sinful flesh. Yet the Bible tells us that he was without sin. Amen? And he knew no sin. So sinful flesh is not sin. Did you get that clear? No. So you ask, what is sinful flesh? Sinful flesh is flesh that have infirmities. And flesh that have liabilities. We have seen this, right? It has infirmities. Romans 8.26 for infirmities. Romans 8.26 for infirmities. Quickly. Romans 8.26. Did you see it? Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our what? Infirmities. Did you see that? So what does the word infirmities mean? Infirmities means simply bodily weaknesses. Watch me. Bodily weaknesses. Sometimes the body is so weak, you can't continue to think longer and longer and, and, and so on. But you are, te you, you are tempted to stop thinking about the truth. Right? Now you must learn to keep the truth even though your body is very weak. The weakness of the body is infirmities, or you may be sick. And as you are sick, sickness on the body is an infirmity. But through the sickness, you are, temp you are tempted not to think about Christ. Just keep in mind on how you feel. You understand? If you learn to overlook how you feel and to keep your heart on the truth, 
you're doing well. So infirmities is a bodily weakness. That's what happened to us. We are all born that way. Watch me. Some person will say, well, I don't say I can't think much. Infirmities also causes some people not to be able to think stronger than some. But weak thinking, which is infirmities, is not sin. Because no two persons are born with the same intellectual strength. Okay? Amen? And by the way, you don't learn truth according to intellectual strength. When he, the spirit of truth, is come, he shall guide you into what? So the issue, that's why dunce people have, have a tendency to be great theologians. And to speak simple. Do you see John who wrote the epistle of John? And the gospel of John? He was an impetuous youth. Impulsive and short-thinking. Look at Peter. He couldn't even write. Right? And Paul, the big scholar, writes so much things hard to be understood. Catch that one, eh? Catch that one, eh? Which they that are unlearned rest that unto their own world. But look how beautiful John writes. So the issue is not intellectual strength. The issue is what? The reception of the spirit of truth. Amen, brethren? One person who are not intellectually astute receive the spirit of truth. They could give you more truth about the gospel and they could win more people to Christ than the person who have all the intellect and don't have the Holy Spirit. Amen, brethren? So, infirmities, weaknesses of mind, weaknesses of body. Watch me. There's one more kind of liabilities. You have also liabilities. Liabilities is it is liable to, for corrupt emotions flowing. Corrupt emotions could flow, but they don't have to flow. Let's look at the liabilities of corrupt emotions flowing. 2 Timothy 2.22. 2 Timothy, and then one more thing, and then we'll stop here. 2 Timothy 2.22. The liabilities of corrupt emotions flowing. You got it? It says this, flee also what? Youthful lust. Why is he telling you to, to flee youthful lust? Because youthful lust are corrupt emotions that flow among the youth. A 13-year-old boy see a 13-year-old girl now developing. And they get certain feelings. And other youthful lust. They see our next child see another child have and they begin to feel envy or jealousy. Another youthful lust. Paul says flee youthful lust, which means to say the perverted lust don't have to flow, but it could what? Flow. So that's a liability. That's the kind of flesh you have. One more. There's a different kind of liabilities that we have. This liability is called propensity or leaning. Or inclination or inclined towards. That's another liability. Let's get an example in Judges 9.3. Judges 9.3. So far we go for examples. Please help your neighbor to find it. They may not know where Judges are. Judges 9.3.
Yes. Liabilities are perverted emotions flowing, and you have another liabilities that is propensity. That means leaning or inclination. Right? You can also call it, watch me, you can also call it what you call dormant habits. Dormant habits, meaning it is something that, is a, that you, could be a habit, but you're not doing it. Something that you could practice as a habit, but not dormant habits. Let's get an example here. Watch. Inclinations or propensities. Judges 93. And his mother's brethren spake of him in the ears of all the men of Shechem. All these words. And their hearts inclined. Do you see the word here? Inclined to follow up. Abimelech, for they said, he is our brother. So watch me now. Now Abimelech, we know, was a corrupt man. He tried to, for the first time, create kingship in Israel by murdering people and so on. And he had a campaign to poison the minds of others to make himself king. But here we are being told a large amount of people, their mind was inclined towards an inclination because he was their brother. What does that mean? Their minds had a tendency of what? Leaning towards him because he was their brother. So this is a type of, of, of what we call liabilities. Now, in other words, there is a possibility for your mind to lean towards something, but it don't have to happen. But it can only happen if you practice it. And to some people, it is so much a habit that it's easy. That's what you call dormant habit when it is not practiced. That's another kind of inclination. Now let's summarize what we have seen. We have seen then, therefore, that the depravity of man is made up of various things. Number one, Adam made us sinners. How? He caused us to be born without God. Amen? Number two, no God in our hearts, we begin to create idol values. Number three, our thoughts are wrong. And as a result of that, number four, wrong feelings. Number five, wrong works. And apart from that, we have inherited a flesh that has what? Infirmities, number six. And those, inf and those infirmities, right, shows the weaknesses of the body, but it is not sin. And apart from that, we also have a flesh that has liabilities. We have two kinds of liabilities. Liabilities of perverted emotions flowing, and liabilities that you call propensities, leaning, or inclination, or dormant habits. All of that is the depravity of man. Amen, brethren? And that's why you have all this whole discussion of sanctification. is how to deal with those things. How God deals with it. That's the depravity of man. Guess what? We ain't even touched provisions yet. We ain't even touched conditions of salvation yet. Change point. Maintenance. Finishing of salvation. We are like we are going through a whole systematic theology study, but more developed. Amen, brethren? Amen, brethren? I promise you I will give you these others in a very, in a summary point, 
And then, when we go into this one, we'll go a little more detail. Amen? But it is important for us to understand provision and application too. We have to touch all of that. And then we have, watch me. We have 15, 15 points. Unique points that define Adventism. That if you're an Adventist, you must have these points in your teaching. Because it's what makes you self the Adventist. All that we have to touch. Do you get that clear, my dear brethren? All this is a part of the word. Image and what? Faith of Seventh-day Adventism. Are you beginning to understand, my dear brethren? Now, let me summarize by saying this. We had a, an elaborate theological discussion. What does this mean for you? What does it mean for you? This elaborate theological discussion that we had. What does it mean to you? Let me tell you something. As simple these points that you see us touch, they are what make you a true orthodox child of God. Because the, the, the teachings that God gives follows that pattern. God is not going to tell you the depravity of man is sinful flesh. A sin. Because if God tells you that, to make you become free from sin, he will have to change your flesh. And if your flesh is only changed when Christ comes, then you'll have to wait until Christ comes to stop sinning. And if you have to wait until Christ comes to stop sinning, salvation now is salvation in sin. So God cannot judge you and tell you it did wrong, because you'll have to tell him, Lord, I can't stop until you change my body. Amen, brethren? So the whole plan of salvation is based upon you understanding these things properly. Amen? Amen. 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 So make sure you get the right understanding. Okay, brethren? Now, here is why myself or I, Brother Medina, feel satisfied. Here is where I feel confident. Here is where I feel satisfied. Because to know that despite what any other people say, what any other religion say, or any other who was once here and left, we know we have the truth. And we know we stand by the truth. And anybody else learn it from us. Therefore, we are the teachers of the end time. We're the one to bring light. Amen? Hey, if you have that responsibility and you do it not, great condemnation come upon you. You better show people what you know. Amen, brethren? Please let us stand.
Amen. Amen, brethren. So you heard of our, our brethren in Pakistan has been having their prayer and fast for how terrible it is in the country. Pakistan have no major exports. So they have no means of making foreign currency. That's how hard it is for them. That's why our brethren there will be suffering so much. And they will be suffering electrical outages and all these sort of things. It's very hard for them. So they have asked that we pray for them, okay? We usually send them a little stipend, a little money. At the end of the month, the brethren in St. Vincent send money. Um, 600 TT is, is 17,000 resists for them. Right? For them, their money. Right? Right, rupees. Right, yeah, for their, their, their money. Yeah. Right? And um, so we try to help, okay? Every month we send them a little thing, right? But you must pray for your brethren, okay, brethren? Remember, they have the same faith as you. They are two here in Pakistan. Is that understood? And they need your prayers and your help. Okay, brethren? So utter a little prayer for them occasionally. You lose nothing. You only do good for them. Okay, brethren? Okay, brethren? All right. Please let us pray. Uh, brother, you, you are sorry. You had up your hand. Thank you, loving Father, for all the truth you have shown us. Thank you for the wonderful blessings you have given to us. Thank you for the light you have put in our hearts with regards to these truths. May we follow them up and serve you in spirit and in truth. Be your children. Be the saved. Who is being saved until the end? And Lord, as we leave here to go home, please keep us safe from all harms, troubles, dangers, and accidents. Not forgetting our brethren in Pakistan, bless them, give them sustenance, give them security and protection from all these suicide bombers and the gross evil that is in that country, and help them to spread the faith, not only in Pakistan, but to all the regions in the Middle East, that we may bring in the end of this world and bring Christ back. In Jesus' holy name we pray with thanksgiving unto thee. Amen. Okay. That's right. Okay, yes. Don't forget to support the church with Tyson offerings. And don't forget the radio funds. Sister, sister, sister Will Joseph, there with a smiling face, will take the money up for the radio programs, okay?